carrying on from the last broadcast where we summarized prophetic scripture and summarized important elements to be considered as we are uh, deconstructing prophetic scripture. I want now to add that after the naos of God, those who are the dwelling place of God, the collective body of Christ, after those are judged, a reference is made to not measuring the outer court um, because it's given to the Gentiles. And the term Gentiles, you see, is a standard reference to unbelievers who are numbered amongst the believers at a time of separation. Now, among those people are, are those who have not yet decided whether they're in or they're out. And the persecution that will come will result in a further separating out. Some will come in, some will depart. But you notice that there's a reference here to these two distinct groups. Uh, unbelievers are more like a, a compendium group or a group that represents a compendium of immature believers and outright unbelievers, people who are, uh, for whatever reason, cultural or um, historic or uh, they haven't decided yet, they, they, they want to be in but they haven't decided to pay the price, they're hangers-on and persecution will sort it out. As they say in South Africa, uh, a sorting out means that um, uh, there will be a violent separation or separation by violence. But it's important to note that, these, that the, the scriptures uh, begin to address this mixed multitude because there are those who are clearly the naos of God. They are like those who are in heaven uh, and it's the family of God in heaven and on earth. And there are those who are not clearly so. But it hasn't been decided yet whether they are, as I said, whether they're in or they're out. Now, this phenomenon clearly exists in the scriptures and is spoken to very directly in scripture, in non-prophetic scripture, non-symbolic language. When Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, uh, he says to them, I made a decision before I came to see you that for the time I would be amongst you, uh, I would choose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, he gave the explanation as to why he made that command decision uh, in anticipation of being amongst them. He said in chapter 3, he goes on to say, 
because when for the time you ought to be teachers, you're still on milk. Are you not carnal? Are you not immature? So he uses the term carnal, not primarily or not even significantly in this context, as a reference to immoral and uh, sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality was present in the Corinthian church and he rebuked it, but it was as he identified it both in an individual and the countenancing of it in, in, in a more general way amongst the church in Corinth. But he was referring to the primary group of people, the primary uh, disciples uh, in, in Corinth as being carnal. Are you not carnal? Are you not immature? Carnality then is synonymous with immaturity. And it, it, in Ephesians, Paul would describe such carnal or immature believers as being infants tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings, being readily deceived. Now the word infants goes perfectly with the imagery of 1 Corinthians 3 where he's referring to the Corinthians as being on milk and therefore immature. Well, in our states of development as children, there's always a time when children are on milk and it's perfectly okay for children, for small children to be on milk. What is not okay is when for the time you are to be mature, you remain immature. That that is unprofitable. That is resisting the work of the Holy Spirit to conform you to the standard of Christ. Now, I understand that this is a neglected perspective among evangelicals and certainly among Roman Catholics and other groups of, of, uh, of those who have uh, uh, expressed faith in God. But the scriptures do not make it a light matter. The scriptures focus in on it. The, the prophetic scriptures zero in on the fact that these two groups exist. One as clearly mature and the other as clearly immature. And a time wherein there is a separation between the two. Jesus likened this separation in the final judgments as a shepherd separating between the sheep and the goats and the sheep being referred to as the blessed of the Father and the goats being referred to as depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. In other words, they were motivated by the lust of their flesh and they were deceived 
according to their lust. They heaped to themselves teachers for whatever they lust for. Now this isn't the world. This is this outer court. This is the Gentiles. The world makes no such pretenses. The world is lawless and godless. Uh, they, but, but this group has given heed, the, the, the group categorized as the Gentiles, has given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. But again, in this group, there's a mixture. And there's a culling and a calling uh, amongst this group. The reason I, I've chosen to emphasize this is that shortly we will be talking about the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars, who is about to give birth to the sun who is caught up to heaven. This is the, in the sense that the sun comes out of the woman, there's a separation, you see, between those who are mature and those who are religious. Now, in the religious group are those who desire to be mature. And this is the time when persecution and separation will give them the opportunity to see with absolute clarity that which God intended. And they will have the opportunity to choose. The great falling away is not necessarily believers who are immature going to hell. Now amongst that group, they are those who are truly not believers at all. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. There is no reality to their belief. But amongst this group, this is the mixed multitude in the outer court. They have not entered in. They are not the dwelling place of God. They are still occupied with their own opinions and views about everything. These are the most difficult people to talk to. It's actually easier to talk to the world and the unbelievers, entirely unbelieving, because they're like blank slates as it regards the things of God. But these Gentiles, uh, these, th this category referred to as Gentiles slash unbelievers, they've really, they are, they are so entrenched religiously that you can make no headway with them. And, and their redemption, their being brought out, will, will happen in two stages, one in this life, the other in the age to come. In this life, those who are brought out will be because they see the truth personified by those who are collectively described as the naos of God, similarly described as Zion, the perfection of beauty where their ways are consistent with representing the Heavenly Father. And in them you can see an accuracy of representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the, 
what has been what Paul described and what Hebrews described. These are the ones who are um, who are conformed to the standard of Christ. The ones who've been brought to the knowledge of the hope of God's calling of them. The ones who have been brought to the understanding of God's inheritance amongst them. The ones who have been operating out of the mighty power of God. As contrasted with adakemos, castaways. And in other messages I've talked about coinage, uh, the image of Christ being uh, that which is stamped uh, in, in metal that has been refined, like, uh, like the making of coinage, versus those who have not been refined, who break under the weight of being conformed to Christ and are therefore uh, removed from the caste. They are away from the caste. They are cast away. Again, not an indication that they're going to hell. Not an indication that they're going to hell. Unless they never, they were never believers, but just masquerading. They, they, unless they were just simply cultural, um, cultural and religious uh, believers with no actual connection to Christ. But but this group uh, includes also those who did not conform, the adakemos, the castaway, the reprobate. They did not measure up to the probate standard by which they were determined to be heirs. To use a legal term uh, that, that references that which is considered the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In short, what I want to say is much is said in the scriptures about the court of the Gentiles. And, and so much of the book of Revelation is that. It requires a substantial knowledge of the rest of Scripture. Otherwise, it's just gobbledygook. It's, it, it's nonsensical references that have no, no, um, no ability to carry the resonance of Scripture. Needless to say, to many in the court of the Gentiles, uh, Scripture is like that. They lack the soundness of understanding and therefore all Scripture is linear, it's rational, it's logical. They don't see that they're symbols of things on the earth which have their precedent, the preceding order, the higher order in heaven, which in turn has the perfect order, the end before God created the heavens and the earth, so the end from the beginning, has the perfect order in the eternal. I have said before, I'll say again here, heaven is not eternal. Why? Because it was created, come on. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens. He, just like he created the earth, but the eternal is uncreated. Heaven is not eternal, the earth is not eternal, but God is eternal. And God out of himself puts the symbols of things that exist for long ages past, before heavens were created, before the earth was created, 
God puts that which is in Himself, He put in the heavens and subsequently and in the due course of things, in the timing of the Lord, He puts those things also in the earth in more concrete representation. So natural representations, you see, are the most limited. Things that are put, eternal things, that come out, that are put in the heavens, come out of the heavens and come into the earth, when they reach the earth, they're the most limited of views. Heaven is a less limited uh, uh, representation and the eternal is the original intent. Imagine if our approach to Scripture was to make it relevant to the earth and that by logic or by reason. There's no chance that we would hit the mark. In fact, it is if we take that position, it is an absolute given that we shall miss the mark. All right, now I want to move on, uh, but I did want to talk about the court of the Gentiles because it is, it is in full reference later on as I've already alluded. Now, and there is this thing that keeps coming up in Scripture, this this, uh, time period called 42 months or 1,260 days, the same thing, three and a half years, was very, very key Uh, to this understanding that you realize three and a half, of course, is half of seven. Seven is complete and it's the reference to the thing completed. Here we are in the highly symbolic language of Scripture, so it's imperative that we get that he's not necessarily talking about an actual period of 42 months or an actual period of 1,000 300 and uh, 260 days, but he's referencing the matter being short of completion. Now I will point out, however, that when this principle was established in the life of Jesus on the earth, it was he actually, in his ministry, functioned for 42 months three and a half years. So if these things are meant to be taken literally, the Holy Spirit will show us at the time. But until He does, we have the guidance of Scripture that says the matter is moving toward completion, but it is not yet complete. Okay? Now we looked extensively at the two olive trees and the two lampstands. And what we saw in that was this reference to uh, the book of Zechariah, chapters 4 and then chapter 6, that speak of the restoration of the order of kings and priests, the order of Melchizedek, the restoration of that order in the time of Zechariah, which was to say 
that right after the refugees began to, to return from Babylon and to restore and reestablish, among other things, the temple in Jerusalem and then the walls of Jerusalem, in the heart of that the crown of silver and gold was made and given to Joshua the priest, which is the Old Testament name for Jesus. So the scriptures are quite intentional in connecting the characteristics of the two witnesses who are similarly described as the two prophets, which really means the two with the testimony, the two with the testimony. Um, and, 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 and the scriptures are plain that there's always two to confirm a matter. In the case of Jesus' own confirmation, he was confirmed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and he was confirmed by the voice that came out of heaven that declared, this is my beloved Son. So in the same way, the Spirit of Christ confirms that the naos of God has been judged and has become representational of Christ in the earth. And now that anointing and the anointed ones are being uh, refused and rejected, or actually they're first being presented in the earth, just like Jesus upon his return from Galilee to Cana, uh, uh, from his return, I'm sorry, to, from the wilderness to Cana of Galilee, he began to perform miracles. So the thing to keep in mind here is how closely these prophetic references are hewing to the major prophetic references to the Lord Jesus Christ himself to the Spirit of Christ who is the High Priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's not just a representational priest in this order, he is the High Priest. So these two witnesses then represent the full complement of the representation of Christ. It is highly unlikely that they are numerically two witnesses and it is more than likely that they are representative of a people who in their behavior of representing Christ in the earth generate the anger and the, the dismay of the evil one who works through human agencies. And just as after three and a half years the enemy could not endure Jesus being on the earth and arose to kill him. You'll remember on one occasion the disciples of Jesus came to him or, or certain ones came to Jesus and said, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said, 
Go and tell that fox that I will cast out demons today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. A prophecy of what he means to do with the body in the end of the age. And then he turns and says, O Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those who were sent unto you, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you would not. So he picks up the metaphor of a fox, go tell that fox, and refers to Israel as chickens whom he would have gathered under his wings protectively in the, in the case that the, uh, in the circumstance in which the fox had entered to devour. So Jesus is prophesying that today and tomorrow, the indication of three, and in this instance three and a half, that he will reach his goal. Now he was shortly cut off, as Daniel himself said, he was cut off in the middle of the week. But he continues to pursue the fulfillment of these things through, in and through his body. So just like he continued on and finally the enemy was able and God permitted it. In fact, he couldn't do it but for the fact that God permitted it because it was the time, it was the full fulfillment of the time. Jesus himself said, my hour has come. So he was operating on the timing of the Lord, on the timing of heaven, timing of God, much like we will operate on the timing of God and the timing of, of, of eternal things. And it doesn't matter how the enemy rages, we will run our course. I will cast out demons today and tomorrow and on the third day I will finish my course. We will run our course. We will have completed the, this representation of Christ in the earth will do so, will finish its course on the third day, on the three and a half years. And, and, but while they're doing that, it brings in references as to what they're doing um, and how they're able to suppress opposition and dismiss the, 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 the attacks upon them in ways that recall how, uh, how, the, how Elijah the prophet uh, resisted uh, in the days, in his days, in that he shut up the heavens and it didn't rain. Certainly that would indicate that there's a famine for the word. Um, power to turn water, the waters into blood, clearly a reference to the predecessor, uh, 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 Moses, who was able to bring the plagues upon Egypt, and Jesus, who, uh, who could not be killed and who brought forth the representation of God until the appointed time. But then after that, the fullness of their sacrifice is consummated and when that happens, it simply says, when they finished their testimony. 
In other words, when it was all over and done, when it is as Jesus on the cross, when it is finished, then the beast is given opportunity. That's why I want to continue the next time. I'm Sam Solon and we will continue to unpack the book of Revelation. We're in the 11th chapter. Blessings. Bye-bye.